Well, as we review our Christmas lists, and I trust you're doing that over these weeks as we head toward uh, the day of Christmas, we recognize that changes often have to be made, right? We recognize that uh, visits again this year won't be the same. Recognize that some items are simply not available or that there isn't enough time or money to do what we really want to do. And so we have to adjust our expectations. We have to change our lists. We have to do what? Prioritize. And it's so important for us to prioritize during this Christmas time. Well, Advent season, the season of waiting, is also meant to do the same. It's meant to cause us to anticipate the coming of Jesus, not only the first coming, but to anticipate his second coming. If Jesus were to come back tomorrow, are you ready? <laughs> That's part of the question. Are you ready? Some, are, some people are like, right now, just bring it now. Jesus, take us now. It's interesting when Martin Luther was asked if he was ready and what he would do if he knew the world was going to end tomorrow. You know what he said? I'd go plant an apple tree. That's a weird thing to do, right? <laughs> a lot of people said, we'd quit work. We'd go on a hill and wait for his, his appearance. And Martin Luther said, no, I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing now. He was that confident that his life was lived with integrity to the glory of God. That's the kind of lives, lives we want to live. And so sometimes we have to assess our priorities to make sure that each and every day we're living our lives in anticipation of the return of Jesus. And so that's what we're doing over this time, reviewing our lives, taking stock, prioritizing, and reordering our lives around Jesus. And that's what's really important. So we've been looking at some of the characters. Who was the first character? Anybody remember? You didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz this morning, Doug, but here it is. Who was the first character we looked at? Anybody? Simeon. Simeon in the Bible is one of the forgotten characters. Anna, also, we should have talked about Anna. It comes right after Simeon. And they are wonderful characters. And Simeon shows us how his time was reordered from Kronos time, from the tick, tick, tick of the clock, to Kairos time, to those God-ordained moments. And may you have some God-ordained moments during this Christmas season. Second character, Joseph. Joseph is a wonderful character as well, and he shows how our plans can be reordered by God. Joseph was a man with a plan, and when that plan didn't work, he was a man with plan B. But God had different plans altogether that totally surprised Joseph. How did he respond? With obedient love. And when our plans change, when our sanctuary plans change, when our COVID plans change, when our life plans change, how do we respond? Joseph sets it out for us in obedient love, love for one another and love for God. And Joseph sets the example. Well, today we are looking at also my favorite characters, the shepherds. The shepherds show us how our work can be reordered as they hear the announcement of the angel. What was the announcement? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And that announcement reordered their work. Here's the thing. Shepherds are interesting in the Bible because it's a bit of a mixed review. On the one hand, we have King David. King David was the most infamous shepherd boy. And he kind of elevates the status of shepherds as he becomes king. And then King David calls Yahweh, the Lord, his shepherd. And so we discover that God 
is the ultimate shepherd. And then leaders, both in Israel and in the early church, are called shepherds. So there's this kind of elevated ideal of the shepherd. At the same time, shepherds are unclean. And especially among the Pharisees and the, the leaders of the, of the law and the temple during the time of Jesus, shepherds were unclean because they dealt with a lot of sheepy stuff. They couldn't always clean themselves properly. They couldn't clean themselves uh, uh, religiously or in preparation for all the different uh, routines and rituals that were associated with worship. And so they were considered unclean. It's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. And the shepherds did that dirty job on behalf of the community. In fact, shepherding was not allowed to take place close to cities or within sort of city limits. So a lot of the shepherding took place in the wilderness of Judea. It was outside of the city limits. And so these shepherds then end up being somewhat marginalized. And so there's this weird paradox, this weird mix. The shepherds are revered, but also kept at a distance. I think we treat God like that sometimes. <laughs> we revere God, but we want him to stay at a distance. And the shepherds are like that. So it's surprising that this most important announcement in all of history comes to the shepherds. Why didn't God go to the influencers? You know, we have that, that's an actual job today, somewhat. Influencers, what do you do? I'm an influencer. Really? And so why didn't God go to the influencers of the day? Why didn't God go to the celebrities? Or maybe the politicians? Somebody with a platform, someone with a voice, but instead he goes to the shepherds, these marginalized and yet somewhat respected group of people. But here's the point that I want you to take away with, and maybe you've never heard this aspect of the shepherds. These were not ordinary shepherds. They weren't the ordinary shepherds. Their proximity to Bethlehem, that they were so close to the city, to the town, suggests that they were actually watching the temple flock, a very special flock of sheep that were set aside for religious practices. They would have been trained in Levitical regulations by the temple priests who were nearby, and these shepherds kept watch over the sacrificial flock of lambs day and night, and they did so from an upper story vantage point of a tower that was set near Bethlehem. And they were trained especially to identify the male lambs who were without imperfections. And when they found those lambs, you know what they would do with them? They would wrap those lambs in swaddling cloths in order to protect them from being injured or harmed or somehow broken because they were needed for the sacrificial system. Do you see where I'm going with this? These were special shepherds. They had special training. And in the course of their regular job, they were interrupted by the angels to go see the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So that's the whole mention of the swaddling cloths. People say, well, what's the big deal about swaddling cloths? Well, these shepherds would have recognized that because that's what they did with the sacrificial lambs who were identified. And these shepherds, in the course of their regular job, were sent to identify the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So it's in these outlying areas of the little town of Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem lay something called the shepherd's field. And it's the same field 
where Rachel from the Old Testament is buried. It's the same field and same area where Ruth gleaned the grain from Boaz's fields. It's the same area where King David was born and anointed. It's in this area that the shepherds were watching their sacrificial flocks by night and then were sent to identify the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And so suddenly in that place, in the ordinary, mundane, stinky job of being a shepherd, the angels come and announce something extraordinary and something that they would discover. And they experienced great joy. They had their work reordered and reprioritized in such a way that it gave them joy. So here's my question today. And I'm going to use the the shepherd's story and some of the details as kind of a launching point to talk about something I think is really important. And that is our work. Is it possible to have our work reordered in the same way the shepherds did? Is it possible in our work to be redirected toward God and even to discover joy in the work that we do. Now, when I say uh, work, you have to understand that it's, it's more than just the stuff we do for pay, right? Uh, work is much bigger than that. Uh, there's volunteer work, there's school work, there's parental work, there's forced labor like changing the diapers of young children, babies. Um, so there's all kinds of work that we do. Work is that expenditure of mental and physical energy that brings a satisfaction to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. So when we talk about work, we're not just talking about the paycheck kind of work, but this bigger idea of work. Can we have the stuff that we do with our hands? Can it be reordered? Just like the shepherds were doing their ordinary job and were suddenly directed toward Jesus and toward joy. Well, the Bible says a lot about work, actually. In fact, God is a worker in the Bible. Do you ever think about that? And this seems like a normal thing for us to say, but if you explore the, the other creation stories that are around in ancient Near Eastern cultures, the gods who formed the land masses and formed the planets, they create humans to do one thing, to be their slaves, because gods don't work. Even in, in Athens and in Greece during the time of Jesus, a true Athenian citizen would not do manual labor. Work was looked down upon by many, many cultures. And in the midst of this, the God of the Bible is a worker. He presents himself as a gardener, as an architect, as a midwife. And in doing so, he elevates all of these jobs, this work, to have godly status. Our work matters. He didn't create humanity to be slaves. He created us to be co-workers with him made in his image. And once we get a hold of that, of the job that we have to do along with God in this world, I think our work can be elevated. So how do we reorient our work to discover meaning and perhaps even joy, just like the shepherds did? Here's three things I'll give to you that comes from the New Testament. First of all, do our work to benefit others. If we're just constantly chasing a paycheck or chasing status or chasing the approval of others in what we're doing, our work is going to quickly become meaningless. But if we can do our work, our schoolwork, our chores at home, whatever it is that we're doing, if we can do it for the benefit of others, 
then our work takes on new meaning. Have you ever felt that? There's a great verse in Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul was addressing something that seemed to be a problem in the church. He said this, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Now, most times that sounds like, well, that's obvious, right? Not today, not in our world today. <laughs> I think in our world today, this is a very pertinent message. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work so that you may give generously to others in need. You see the motivation? Don't just do it for yourself, but work so that you can benefit other people. And I think once we understand that, then we begin to see a meaning and a purpose in our work. The shepherds suddenly realized that all of their jobs, all of their work was driving at something that was much bigger, a much bigger benefit to the whole universe, and it gave meaning to their work. I shouldn't always use my wife, Christine, in illustrations, or at least I should probably get her approval before. But I'm going to do this again at great risk. Um, I know that my wife doesn't always love her work, but she loves her family, and she works from love. And that might provide a little bit of meaning, a little bit of joy, even as she works. I think of Christine in the beginning of this year, and for six or seven weeks, facing pneumonia and then pleural effusion and multiple trips to the hospital. And in the midst of that, she kept working, not because she loved her job so much, <laughs> but because she loved her family so much. And she worked, and that gives a little bit of meaning. And so if we can do that, if our work is reoriented to understand that we are benefiting others, that provides meaning. Here's the second thing. We find meaning in our work when we do it with all our heart. When we do it with all our heart. This speaks of integrity, doesn't it? Listen to Colossians chapter 3. In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord and not for people. Work the best you can. It doesn't mean that we're going to be the best at what we do. But we need to work with integrity in working the best that we can. I was thinking about this as I was preparing the sermon. And again, I was thinking about Pastor Samuel and also the tech team. And I don't know if you know this, but, you know, 20 months ago, March of 2020, whenever this crazy journey started, do you know that we had never posted a video to anywhere not to YouTube, not to Facebook. Like We weren't doing, I mean, Samuel did a few videos for worship occasionally, but we didn't know how to do this. Pastor Samuel didn't come with a degree in YouTube management or something like that. He spent hours and hours pouring over manuals for cameras and watching how-to videos and trying his very best with great integrity to make sure our worshiping congregation stayed connected. And then he built a, a tech team. And the tech team... They know they're not professionals, and that's okay, because they work with integrity. Amazing commitment to be here every single Sunday. And then on Wednesdays, Samuel's like, I also want you guys here on Wednesday uh, to learn, to improve, and also to, uh, to help out with other things. What incredible commitment and integrity. You know, today on our YouTube channel, we have almost 600 videos on the YouTube channel. And I think it just shows that these people and many of others in this congregation are working at this with all their heart. And when we work with all our heart with that sense of integrity, then we also realize meaning and purpose in our work. 
the third way that we can find meaning and purpose in the work. Not only do it to benefit others and do it with all our heart, but also to do it for the glory of God. In the end, the shepherds went away glorifying and praising God because they suddenly realized that their daily job had eternal purpose, eternal meaning. And I would say that every daily task that we do has eternal meaning and has eternal purpose. And once we kind of tap into that, then we see that we can glorify God in washing the dishes. <laughs> I've got to remember that when you know, tonight comes, <laughs> and I'll try and do practice what I preach. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. To do our work in a way that honors God. Our work has dignity. We're created in God's image as a co-worker with him. We have God-given abilities, each and every one of us, to carry out important tasks that he's appointed for us to do. And when we work at these tasks, we should do it to shine the spotlight on God, to glorify God in all that we do. Has anybody heard of Brother Lawrence? Have you heard of this character? He wrote a little tiny book. The book is called The Practice of the Presence of God. And if you ever get your hands on it, it's fascinating. He comes from the 1600s in Europe. And Brother Lawrence wasn't a monk. In fact, he started out as a soldier. And he was caught up in the, in the 30 years war in Europe. And when he started, he joined the army, not because he wanted to fight, but because he was hungry. He needed uh, food and he needed uh, a small paycheck in order to survive. And so Brother Lawrence fought in these horrific wars that ravished Europe for about 30 years. And as, as he fought, he was actually wounded and he was discharged from military service. And he decided, because of all the horrors that he had seen, that he wanted to commit himself to religious occupation. But he wasn't allowed to fully join the monastery, so instead he joined as a lay brother, which meant that he did all the tasks without the glory of being called a monk. I don't know if that's gloriful or glorifying or whatever. But uh, Brother Lawrence spent most of his time, do you know where? In the kitchen. It was washing dishes for years and years and years. And it was in the habit of washing dishes that he learned to practice the presence of God. It'd be like being stuck in the dish pit up at Gull Lake. Although I shouldn't use that analogy. Some people really love the dish pit at Gull Lake. Um, but it'd be like stuck in the dish pit, but not being able to talk or have fun or crack jokes or do anything like that. It'd be very serious work. He was stuck doing dishes for a very, very long time. And when he couldn't do that any longer, he was required to repair everybody's sandals. That was his job. In the midst of that, he learned to practice the presence of God. He learned to do it for God's glory. Here's what he says in his book. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Every task, even small tasks, can be done from faith, hope, and love. And when we do that, we bring glory to God. So what is the result? Well, if we practice these things, doing our work for the benefit of others, doing it with all our heart and doing it to glorify God, then we begin to understand some meaning and purpose. We begin to see the bigger picture, and that's what the shepherds got to see in the story. All of their work that they were doing with integrity for so many years, suddenly there was an aha moment. 
that they were being prepared for greater things, and that was revealed to them. Christian joy, says John Piper, is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world. My hope this week for all of us is that we might catch a glimpse of Jesus in the work that we do with our hands, whatever that work is, wherever that takes us, and that that might give us a glimpse of joy. I wonder if they'd talk to the shepherds after all of this, because the shepherds become the hero of the story. And uh, they might interview them and say, wow, how does it feel to be the hero and carry this great good news? I think they would say this, we were just doing our job. <laughs> we were just doing our job and in the course of doing what God has called us to do in the mundane, in the ordinary, we met Jesus. That's my prayer for all of us. So this week, remember that the work of the shepherds and may we find meaning and joy in the work of our hands as we encounter Jesus in the mundane of everyday life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the incarnation that Jesus, that you became flesh and dwelled among us. You moved into the neighborhood. We're so grateful that in doing so, you met us where we're at so that you might elevate us, so that you might lift us, so that you might give our lives purpose and meaning and help us to see the eternal picture of all of our actions in all that we do. So, Father, this, this week, whatever we find to do with our hands, with our minds, with all that we have, may we bring glory and honor to your name. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.